are in worship this morning. I, I couldn't stop laughing. And partly that's because sometimes Holy Spirit comes as joy, and so you laugh. And that, that's part of, of what he was doing uh, with me and for me this morning. But, but I also, I just couldn't get over the fact that I'm here. And it's so ridiculous that I'm here. Like, I'm not from Bournemouth. I don't know if you all know that. But, but I'm not. I'm not from here. And it really is just ridiculous that I get to be here, that I get to be in this country, that I get to be in this church family. It's just bonkers that Jesus would do this. And I was just so overwhelmed with with the ridiculousness of it and the joy of it. And, you know, I've been here, uh, it'll be five years at the end of this month, I've been in Bournemouth, five years. And maybe because of that, or because I'm, I'm moving house soon, and so I've been going through my old journals, and, uh, or maybe just because Coastline is in, you know, quite a significant season of transition. I've been reminiscing on all of it. And I've been remembering this journey that brought me here, brought me to Bournemouth and, and brought me to Coastline and, and just thanking the Lord for it and, and savoring it, remembering the highs and the lows. And I'm going to be honest with y'all, there were a lot of lows in my journey to get here. It's, it's partly why I resonate so much with Paul and so much with Paul's journey, especially in Acts 27 and Acts 28. Because, you know, Paul, if you remember, way back in Acts 23, he was given a promise, right? He, he was given a promise from the Lord that he was going to go to Rome and he was going to preach the gospel. And then everything kicks off. And it's craziness for him. And he goes through so much. He goes through death threats and, and torture and imprisonment and court cases and everyone hating him and years of waiting for a promise. And I really relate to that because the Lord gave me a promise. He gave me a promise of a place of the UK. Over a decade ago now, he called me to this country and he told me I was going to be part of the coming revival. Amen. Yeah. And I, I would love to tell you that as soon as he said that to me, I was like, great, I'm in, this is awesome. But that would be a lie. That is not what I did. It took me an embarrassing amount of time, like, like over a year, to finally say yes to this, this promise and this calling from God. But eventually, I said yes. And you might think, as I did, that as soon as I said yes, it was all peachy keen. Everything was going to be fine. The Lord spoke. I finally obeyed. And, and great, now it's going to happen. Easy peasy. Done. Mm-mm, Jillian, that's right. <laughs> that was not my story. That was not my experience. And that wasn't Paul's experience either, was it? I had so many issues with getting a visa 
to this country. Like, like weird things would happen that would cause my visa to fall through. So, like administrative errors. There was this one time, um, someone in a church, they just need to make one phone call. That's it, just one phone call. And they lost the phone number and never made the call. Just didn't do it. This, twice this happened in two different churches. I was hired by the pastor, and then they had to come back and say to me, oh, um, our PCC, or like, like board of trustees, they, um, they said, we, we can't hire you. We don't have the money or, or legal ability to do that. I was like, oh, that's nice. I wish, wish you'd talk to them first, but okay, that's cool. So I went back and forth. For, for years, I lived out of a suitcase. And so I would spend three to six months here, and then I'd go to the States and do three to six months there, and I'd go back and forth, back and forth. And it was not ideal. It was not a great way to live. It definitely wasn't the promise of God. And then finally, one day, I had a friend call me up, and he said the organization he worked for in Cambridge was going to give me a visa. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this is it. Oh, come on, Jesus, it's happening. And, and everything seemed to go through. The paperwork was going through. Everything was fine. I got on a plane. I arrived in Cambridge. Great. But I knew something wasn't quite right. And I just, something in my spirit was like, this isn't, something's off. Something's, mm, I don't know. And when you get a visa, when you come into the country on a visa, you then go to a designated post office and they give you a residency card. And so I was in Cambridge, went to my designated post office, and I said, I'm here for my residency card. And they said, we don't have that. And I said, can you check again? I know, I know. And they had no record of me. They had no record that I was supposed to have a residency card. And so we went back and forth, and eventually we realized that my visa sponsor had made a typo in the application. And so what should have been a two-year visa was only six months. Yes, it was bad. It was not good. I was so upset. I was, I was angry, I was sad, I was disappointed. But above all, I was confused. Because I was like, Jesus, this, this is the promise. This is what you said. So why would you bring me so close to the promise, only to have it crumble? Why, why would you do that? What are you doing? And I often wonder if Paul felt really similarly. If he had those same feelings and questions. Because through all the stuff that he's gone through, he, he has this promise. He knows the Lord has spoken. And what God speaks, he does. And, and he's gone through all of it. And he's so close to the promise. We're about to find him on a boat, literally on his way to Rome. He's, he's a boat ride away from the promise. He's so close. It should be easy, right? Nothing else can go wrong. A lot goes wrong. Because he's on this boat, and this storm hits the ship. Like a crazy, raging storm. A, a once-in-a-lifetime storm hits this ship. And it's dark, there's, there's no light, there's, there's 
violent waves crashing against the ship. It's, it's to and fro and to and fro. It's, it's chaos. It's so bad, in fact, that verse 20, when they're describing it, says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. They had no hope. These seasoned sailors who had been through at least a couple storms, this storm was so bad, they're like, well, that's it. We're dead. This, this is the end. We have no hope. Even Luke is saying he has no hope. Luke, the author of the book of Acts and the author of the gospel of Luke, he's on this ship with Paul. He's the one writing and saying all hope of our being saved was abandoned. Even this fellow believer was like, this is it. We're done. So in the midst of a promise... In the midst of a calling from God, in the midst of seemingly God's plan, a storm comes. A massive, terrible storm comes. And all hope seems lost. The only one on that ship who has hope is Paul. Because Paul has the promise, he knows what God has said. And so he gives this, this big speech, and, and we'll read from, uh, let's go from verse 23. So he's saying this to the ship. He says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. You must go to Rome. That's the promise. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. So he stands up. He has the faith. He has the hope, right? And when we're faced with that storm in the midst of our promise, in the midst of our calling, we have that choice. We can stand the way Paul did and have faith and believe that what God said he's going to do. Or we can lose our hope. Now, the rest of the sailors and, and the soldiers on board and probably the other prisoners on board, they didn't have Paul's faith, not yet. And so their response is quite different. So this is verse 27 now. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So how do the sailors respond? Well, the first thing they do is they do everything they're supposed to do. 
all the things that their training, their expertise, their experiences have told them to do, that's what they do. So they, you know, do stuff with the sails, they throw cargo overboard, they uh, take farthings so they know how far along they are from the coast and from sandbars. They, they do all the stuff that they're supposed to do, the stuff that's previously worked for them. And maybe that sounds familiar, because we do that too. When a storm comes up, when something is challenging our promise, our calling, what we think God might do, what we believe God is going to do, when we get those challenges, we often revert to the good stuff, the things we're supposed to do, right? So we pray, we might fast, we you know, make sure to come to church and life group. We only listen to worship, right? No secular music. Just, just worship music. You might put on a few more podcasts and, and all, all these kinds of things, all the things you're supposed to do. All the things that worked for you previously or that you know have worked for other people to get them through their storms. But sometimes the storm still rages. And so... Then we often, like these sailors, we're like, okay, the storm's still going. We're going to throw out some anchors. So these sailors, they, they put out these anchors, and anchors are supposed to keep the ship safe. They're supposed to hold the ship steady, hold it in place. And so we often, we, we throw our anchors, and we're like, okay, it's okay, Jesus. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. I just need to get through the night. Okay, okay, and you don't engage with what God's doing. You stay in this little space of fear. You, you want him to, to just stop the storm rather than see what he might do through it. And sometimes we run, we flee. Some of these sailors, they literally tried to escape. They tried to get in the lifeboats and go. They were like, we don't quite know what's going to happen to this, but, but we're going to take our chances somewhere else. And so when we're in our storm, we can say, oh, Jesus, this is too hard. This is too scary. This, this isn't what I signed up for. So I'm out. I'm going. I'm, I'm going to do what, what I think is best. But what we're actually doing in those situations, when we try to do those things, what the sailors and soldiers on board were trying to do, is trying to control things. Trying to control our situation. Trying to control God. To make him do what, what we want. We say, oh, oh God, look, look, I've, I've done all the things, right? I've done what I'm supposed to do, so you're supposed to give me my promise now. Oh, Jesus, you know, you, you say you stopped the storm, so, so you need to stop it right now. We try to control everything. We try to sometimes even force God's hand to do something, to, to act in a certain way. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret, okay? You are not in control. You're not. 
God is in control. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. He is sovereign. He actually knows better than you. So we don't get to tell him, you have to do this, this, and this. We don't get to tell him how our journey to Rome looks. Because you aren't in control. He is. I wasn't in control of my journey to England. Let me tell you, if I was in control of it, as soon as I said yes, within six months, I would have been here. And it would have been great. And the revival would have immediately come, and it would be wonderful. That's how I thought it was supposed to happen. We don't get to control that. You know, with my visa situation, I was, I was in Cambridge and I had this wrestle because I knew if I, and all I had to do was sign a piece of paper and send some money to the British government, of course, and then they would renew and extend that visa. So really easy, it's, it's a guaranteed extension on my visa if I signed. But I also knew Jesus was telling me not to do that. And so I was like, well, that doesn't make sense because the promise is the UK and, and this is the option for the UK. So, so, so I need to do this. Why aren't you letting me do this, God? And we went back and forth and, and in that wrestle, I came and I visited my friends in Bournemouth. And I went and watched some of them play football. And while I was watching the football, I met Aid. And Aid in classic Aid fashion within 30 seconds of meeting me, was like, well, what's the dream? What's, what's like the kingdom dream? What are you going for? And I was like, oh, well, you've caught me in a weird season because I know the promise is the UK. I know the promise is British revival. I know what I'm called to do and what I'm called to be, but, but I also know I'm not supposed to sign this visa, and I don't really know what that means or what God's doing, and so... I don't really know what the dream is anymore. I don't, I don't really, I, I don't know. And he goes, well, we could sponsor your visa. And I said, that's nice. Well, that's not going to happen. That's ridiculous. You have no idea what you're signing up for. And to be fair, he didn't know. He had no idea. But, but within a week, they sorted it all out. And they'd gotten all the things they needed to, you know, be agreed on and, and all this stuff so that Coastline was willing to sponsor my visa. But this is where the scary part came in. Because if I chose the Coastline visa and chose to move to Bournemouth, I was going to have to leave this country without a guarantee I would be let back in. I was going to have to fly out without a visa in my passport. Because there was still months of paperwork that Coastline was going to have to do that I couldn't be in the country for. And even then, the government, the British government, could choose to say, well, we don't want you, Sarah. They could choose to say, oh, Coastline, you can't sponsor her. That's, that's, a, that's something that happens. That was a very possible thing. And so I went back and forth with Jesus, and I was like, Jesus. Surely, I have to sign with Cambridge. That's the safe option. That's the smart option, right? Like, that's my guarantee. I, I don't know what, like, this is, the, this is what I need to do. 
And I went back and forth with him and I, I, I was just so afraid. I was so afraid I was gonna make the wrong decision. And the Lord then brought me to Acts 27. And this is what I read. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape, but the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Now, the verse that stood out to me then, and the verse that still gets me all these years later, is verse 40. They cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. They cast off the things that were supposed to keep them safe. They cast off the things that, that they thought were keeping them, but actually were keeping them from the calling of God. Cambridge was the safe option. The anchors are the safe option. But we were not called to be safe. We were called to Jesus. There's a quote in the Narnia books, and um, they're talking about Aslan, who's like the Lion King ruler. And one of the kids asks, is he safe? And the other character goes, of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. He's good. He's good. He's so good. I know the storm is scary. And I know you really don't want to get shipwrecked. And I know how disheartening it is when the line to Rome is not a straight shot. But I also know that you weren't called to safety. You were called to Jesus. And I also know that even if the storm leads you into a shipwreck, God is still at work. He is still sovereign. He is still in control. He is still a good king. He, he still keeps his promises. So if he spoke something, he's going to do it, even if there's a shipwreck beforehand. And I know that we have a lion king who might not be our definition of safe, but he's really good. The one whose name is faithful and true. Now, you can guess what I ended up choosing because I'm here. I'm standing in front of you. And spoiler alert, Paul does make it to Rome. We'll probably hear about that next week. But that is only possible because we cut loose those anchors. 
we cut loose the things that, that we thought it was supposed to be or supposed to look like. We, we cut loose the things that previously had been working for us. We cut loose our fear and all the things that we thought were going to keep us safe. And I just wonder what anchors you need to cut off this morning. Because I reckon there's some anchors that need to be cut off this morning. There's some mighty callings in this room. There's some big Jesus promises. Promises of, of kingdom coming to earth in this room. But it's not going to happen unless you cast off the anchors. Unless you let the Lord move how he wants to move and do what he's going to do.